you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 8. Thank you, KJ. You know, um, we've been reading through the Bible as a church, and, and I, I, I so hope you've read today. It, it is no accident, and it is incredibly significant that today in our Bible reading as a church, we started the book of Ezra. As God's people came back to rebuild the temple. And, um, and you know, we saw in Psalms today how God's people come together and advance his kingdom. You know, in Daniel chapter 8, if you have your Bibles there, I want you to, I want to frame our, our time today with this incredible truth, that God keeps every promise that he makes. And he will do this throughout all eternity. I don't want you to miss that in your life. I want to say it again. God keeps every promise that he makes. And he will do that for all eternity. Stand with me. Daniel chapter 8. We're going to read 15 through 19. And let's look at this passage today. He writes this. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and he came, and I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man that the vision is for the time of the end. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, you know what? As, as people who trust the word of God and recognize the Bible as an authority in our lives, we, we understand that it's wise for us to consider the second coming of Christ. We should consider what the Bible says about that. We should also expect the second coming of Christ. This is just what Bible-believing people have come to understand because the Bible is a revelation of God. And you know what? It's right to pay attention to, the, to where we are in history. And it's right to recognize that God is skillfully and intentionally bringing the world to a proper end. It's right to understand that. Now, let's understand something. We, we, we're ending today the last series on the second coming of Christ as we've wrestled and, and rubbed shoulders with some of these passages that point to the second coming. And, and you know, I, I think we need to understand something about those ideas. It, it, the, the theological term is eschatology, the, the study of the end times. 
And we need to recognize, and if you're taking notes, point number one is very important, that Bible prophecy is intended to mobilize the church into action. And when you look at the Bible, at Bible prophecy, what God intends for us to, to, to how God intends for us to respond to it is that, is that we're called to understand our times. I think that's very important, to understand the times that we live to understand what God's doing around us, to learn to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and where he has us and when he has us. We're called to understand our times. We're also, in, we're also called to engage the people in our lives. We're to know this world. We're to know where our neighbors, where we live, those around us. We're to engage people. We're to influence people. That, that without apology, our church is called to be an influence where we live. And I don't apologize for, for working hard to influence people to look at Jesus. You know why? Because we're called to turn the spotlight on Christ. That's what we're called to do as a church. That's what I'm called to do as a man, as a follower of Jesus. As, that's what my family's called to do, is to turn the spotlight, not on ourselves, but on Christ. Now, it's interesting, and I think it's very important to understand that when, when Jesus was with his disciples, he, uh, the, the last moment after the resurrection, he, uh, he gathered with his disciples, he met with them, and then Acts records this moment where where Jesus was, was instructing them and mobilizing them and, and pushing them. And all of a sudden, right before their eyes, he ascended into heaven. And they were like, whoa, whoa, what in the world? And these two men appeared to them in white, and they didn't even phase him. I mean, they, they weren't even phased because they were going, whoa. And those men said, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This same Jesus who you saw go into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go. And so very, very quickly in that very moment, what God did is he took the disciples and he said, don't just look up into the sky, but I want you to go get to work. And the book of Acts records that. They went to work. And they got to work, and they, they, they started serving the Lord, and the church was born. And, and you know what? We're still in that moment of getting to work. The church is still in, we're still in the church age where, where we are mobilized to go to the world, engaging the world, turning the spotlight on Jesus, understanding our times. Now, it's interesting as you look at the book of Daniel, because the, the, the end of Daniel is so very interesting. And it, and, it, and it reveals a lot of things about the end times. And, and you know, it's interesting as you think about Daniel, you notice in the verse that we read, Gabriel stood before him. We read about Gabriel this week in Luke chapter 1. In Luke 1, Gabriel was the one that met with Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, in that inner part of the temple. And remember what Gabriel said to Zechariah? He says, hey, Zechariah, I am one who stands before God. Let me tell you something. 
Jack sent me a text message this week. Jack Bogart, he's written right back there. Um, he sent me a text message this week while he was sitting at a funeral, and he said, what will my first reaction be when I get to heaven? That's a great question. Like the first moment, what would I do? I guarantee you what we ain't going to do is stand. Because we're going to see God, and we're going to bam, hit our face. Gabriel is one who he says stands in the presence of God. That's a, that's a dude you ought to listen to if he ever shows up. Just saying you ought to listen if he shows up to you. But he showed up to Daniel. And here's what we see in the book of Daniel, and I want to point number two is this. And, uh, I'm, the Bible has proven to reveal history. Now, I want you to go with me for a few minutes because we're going we're gonna to go through some history we're going to work to understand some history that was revealed through the Scriptures. Daniel 8.2, he says, you see Daniel get this vision of two coming kingdoms in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel 8.2, he says, in my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam, in the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. Daniel had a vision that transported him 120 miles north of the Persian Gulf in the land of ancient Persia. He had this vision that took him there. Now, uh, that was the, Shushan was the, was the capital of Persia. It was the place where in the coming days, Esther would come. Esther would be in, the, in that very city, in the modern Shushan, is in Iran. In Iran and, and in this vision, it's interesting because Daniel saw two animals. First, there was a ram. Notice that in verses 3 through 4. I'm not going to read it, but you can see it. The, the ram is this, it's a two-horned ram. And, and you know what it represents? It represents the kings of Media and Persia. You know what's interesting? The ram was the national symbol of Persia. And then the Persian king wore a ram's head when he led the army into battle. And the ram had two horns. In the same way, the, the Medo-Persian empire had two nations, Medo and Persia. And, and Persia was the strongest. And this is what history reveals. Verse 4, he talks about how that empire was going to expand. First west, then north, then south. And when you study of the, the Medo-Persian empire you'll discover that's exactly how the kingdom expanded. Fascinating. And, and what's, what's incredible is that Daniel saw this before it happened. Now look at verses 5 through 7. I'm not going to read them, but there's another animal. There's a goat. Daniel gets a vision of a goat that went west across the face of the whole earth, it says. Now, the goat represents a second power that's going to come up. And, and the goat had, had one strong, powerful horn that, Daniel, that, that Gabriel told him about. One strong horn. And it comes from the west. And it comes with incredible speed. It was so powerful that, that it strikes the ram and completely destroyed it. But, but I want you to know, we're not left in the dark about this goat. Daniel 8.21 talks about a shaggy goat of king of Greece, and a large horn between that, his eyes. This is, the, this is the first king. Do you know what's interesting? The, the, the first king of Greece, do you know who he was? He was Alexander the Great. You've probably heard of him. The goat was the national symbol of the Grecian Empire. That's pretty interesting. That 
that, that Daniel was given this prophecy before there was a nation of Greece. Because at this time, Greece was a series of these independent states and they were fighting with one another. And, and, and yet God revealed to Daniel, there will be a nation of Greece and it would be, and he would, it would be represented by an animal, a he-goat. Now, ancient Greece is interesting. It's, it's located on the Aegean Sea. And the, the capital city is the city of Aegea. Yeah, that's interesting. Aegea means the goat city. Even before that nation was founded, God gave Daniel a vision. There's going to be a goat. And that happened before Greece rose to prominence. Kind of makes you read your Bible and go, hmm. Daniel 8, 8, the goat became very great. But at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. And you know what's interesting? This is exactly what happened uh, to Alexander. At the height of his power, he is in power and, and conquering the world. And then he suddenly died at the age of 33. You know, what's interesting is history, he, he was, uh, this is kind of an interesting side note. He was conquering the world. He was planning to destroy Jerusalem. And as he approached Jerusalem with his army, as he was sweeping across, the, the high priest of Jerusalem goes out with the scroll of Daniel. And he says, hey, uh, hi, <laughs> uh, you were talked about by our prophet Daniel like several hundred years ago. Alexander the Great was so enamored by that, he spared Jerusalem. But when you look at this, and you look at history, it's interesting because Alexander, after his death, the prophecy says that there's four horns that would come up. And what happened, four generals took charge. His kingdom was divided into four divisions, and the general of his army was placed in each one of those divisions. And this is a revelation of not only an antichrist that we've already seen in the world, but it, I think it's important to note, this is one of those double prophecies. We, we, if you've been with us, we looked at this as we looked at Hosea and Amos. We looked at those moments where the Bible reveals a double prophecy. This is another one because it says, you, you see this double prophecy of, of an antichrist that came up, that rose up in the world before Jesus entered human history. But it also points to a, the end times. One of those generals came, came a little horn. That little horn represents a real person. It points to one little horn that rose up. And history points to the fact that this leader rose up out of those generals. One was, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. I don't know if you've ever studied history about Antiochus Epiphanes, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. He, there was probably never a person in history that, besides the final Antichrist, that hated the Jews more than Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the Antichrist of the Old Testament era. And Daniel prophesies in chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, and it says, and it became great, even as great as the prince of hosts. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. 
And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, meaning that this leader would rise up and he would totally desecrate the temple of God in some fashion. Verse 12 says, A host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offerings because of a transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and will act and prosper. What's interesting, God allowed this man to be successful against his people. Verse 13 says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? Because the offerings had ceased. And the transgression that, made, that makes desolate the giving over to the, of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. That's a little over six years. And that's the prophecy. And what happened in history, it's interesting, Antiochus Epiphanes, he tried to stamp out the Jews from the face of the earth. He made it illegal for the Jews to read the Torah, the, the law. He made it illegal for, for women to circumcise their children. He brought serious punishment to those that did, and there's stories about that. He never blinked an eye as he tried to exterminate 80,000 Jews. He sent 40,000 off to captivity, and it didn't bother him a bit. He was malicious, and in verse 12, 11, 12, and 13, it made, made mention of his transgression of desolation. And this was the reference to him. He, he erected a... a, a a statue of Jupiter inside the temple of the Jews. And, and, and that wasn't even the worst thing he did. One of the worst things he did is, is you know, you, we, we saw this. If you go to Israel, you can't find bacon anywhere in Israel. Why? Because Jews don't eat pork. It, it, it was against the Old Testament law to eat pork. Antiochus Epiphanes knew this. See what he did? He walked into the temple that was sacred to a Jew, and he sacrificed a hog, spread the blood all over the altar, and put it on a pole and said, you take that. You think you're the people of God, you take that. Well, at that moment, there, there's a book that is a historical book that you've probably heard about. It's called First and Second Maccabees. You heard of that book? It's a historical book. It's, we don't put it in our Bible, but it tells the story of um, the, the, the truth story of Judas Maccabeus when he, after this hog was sacrificed on the altar, Judas Maccabeus had a bunch of boys. And one of the things that Judas Maccabeus did with his boys, he's, he taught them how to fight. And these boys weren't pansies. And when that happened, he rallied his boys. He said, boys, it's time. And he led a revolt that punched Antiochus Epiphanes in the mouth. And it was a blow. And, and in fact, he cleansed the temple of that desecration in 25th of Kislev, 165 B.C. 
And, and Antiochus Epiphanes stepped over the line, and it was like uh, you, you woke an enemy, and they kicked his rear. So that may be inappropriate to say, but that's what happened. And you know what's interesting? It was done exactly 2,300 days from the moment that Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed the pig on the altar. And you know the Jews today still celebrate the deliverance of that moment with this little feast that they have every year called Hanukkah. Look, let me tell you something. As you look back at what God has done through prophecy, God has been at work through history. But this prophecy, I think it's important to notice that, look at verse 15, we read it, because we see a double fulfillment here. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called Gabriel. Make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell to my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. When he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. Verse 19. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what, the, what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. You know, I think this is one of those places in Scripture where we, we are aware of, a, of false prophets that come into the world, but there will be a, a false prophet called the Antichrist. There will be a last Antichrist. We saw this as we studied First John. We've considered this as we've looked through Revelation. And this talks about him. Look at verse 25. About this Antichrist, he will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior when they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Now, I want you to recognize that Antiochus Epiphanes was the Antichrist of the Old Testament, but he was a foretaste of what the future Antichrist will be in the last days. You know what? Here's the thing. As we have discovered and as, as the Bible reveals, as Christians, we have something so unique when it comes to the end times. We have the revelation of God. And God speaks to a people that will live in the last days. And, and, and I don't know if we will see the return of Christ. But we will be blind if we didn't recognize that you and I are serving the Lord at a time in history where end-time prophecy is actually possible, you know, for the whole world to see something all at once, you realize that was impossible prior to our time 
in life. And I think it's interesting to consider the description of the Antichrist in the last days. At the, look at verse 23. At the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their limit, behold, the face of one who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. Verse 24 talks about that he will be powerful, but not by his own might, meaning that he will have a power from Satan. He'll have the power to destroy and he'll be wicked. He'll destroy the holy people, it says. Now this is in Hebrew that the holy people in Daniel's mind are the Jews. His heart it will be to destroy Israel. But I also think that we are grafted in with that as the church. And so this Antichrist will be will be opposing the church. Verse 25 says, By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. He shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken but by no human hand. Verse 25 talks about it will be a master of deception. We read in Revelation about the four horses of the apocalypse. He's the rider on the white horse. He's going to come with, bow, with, with a bow but no arrows because he doesn't need any weapons. He's so persuasive that, and deceptive that he can con the whole world. He's going to do that. People are going to worship him. Here's what the prophecy says. He's going to defy Christ. He's going to directly defy Jesus. And then there's going to be a moment that Jesus will utterly destroy him. And the point is, as we consider Daniel 8, the Bible, the Bible has been proven to be historically accurate. And as we recognize that God will keep every promise that he makes. And I get it that when we look at Bible prophecy, it leads a little bit of uh, anxiety. It leads us to a little bit of anxiety. But, but you know the truth is, this is not how it should be for us. It shouldn't move us to anxiety, but it should mobilize us. It should move us to action. And, and, and Bible prophecy is intended to mobilize the church. So that's why, that's why we are to understand our times and to recognize that, that God has called us to this moment in history. And now whether 
whether it's just the beginning of the season of the last days. And I don't know if we'll see the coming of Christ or, or we are to so mobilize the church that we are to raise up a, the, the generation that will stand in the last days as, as they face this, this antichrist that will come into the world. One of the things I ask myself, are my children and my grandchildren going to be bold enough to trust Jesus? And where will they learn that? They'll learn it from me. I mean, they'll learn it from the Holy Spirit. But, but by golly, don't they want, shouldn't we set the example of how to be men and women that walk with Jesus, that serve Him with all we have? We are to understand our times. And we're called to engage the people in our lives. And I'll tell you what. I got a grandson in this room right now. Now he's in the womb of my daughter right here. But I'll tell you what, that young man is going to meet a grandpa that trusts Jesus and that's mobilized for the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you something that we're called to do. We're called to turn the spotlight on Jesus. Now, I'll tell you what, I walked in the room fired up today with a burden on my heart. I want you to know what we've done this week. Our staff went on a staff retreat. And I asked our staff to write a report looking at what God is leading us to do for the next five years. And you know what? As I look at prophecy and, and as I heard our staff talk about what God has put on their hearts over the next five years, I sat there and, and people asked us, how was staff retreat? It was heavy. It was heavy. Folks, I'll tell you, we did go to chicken and pickle for an evening, but the rest of it was heavy. And I was thinking to myself, man, we got some work to do. Because we've got a growing church in a growing community. And I thought to myself, Lord, we got some work to do. And then I heard our staff pour their guts out to me. And I thank the Lord for the staff that God has given us. I have never worked with a more competent staff in all of my years of ministry. And ladies and gentlemen, I started working in the church when I, was, when I was 19 years of age. I'm older than that now. Thank you. <laughs> Someone told me, your beard makes you look old. I said, I am old. 
But I'll tell you this. I listened to our staff, and my first thought was, man, we got work to do. Then I thought, man, we got work to do. Then I thought again, hey, we got some work to do. And then I met with a group of people Thursday night in our church who are helping disciple me. And I thought to myself as I left that meeting, shoot, I'm not by myself. Because guess what? We got some work to do. And you know what? Today, we've asked you to come together to give to our church for our next step. And let me tell you something. You, I don't know how many of you are podcasters, but my wife recorded one this week. And in eight days, it's going to be released. I don't have permission to tell the story today. She didn't tell me about it until yesterday, what she talked about. It's why we do online, why we got to do this as our next step. One of the reasons. But folks, that's just a next step. Let me tell you something. I, I, I realized that this week, as I listened to our staff, shoot, I'm not praying big enough. Because I've been praying for us to finish this step by December. And I want to ask you to forgive me for not praying big enough and challenging strong enough. Because that's an easy step. And you know what? we got another one to take. Because here's the truth. We're in a, we're in a growing community and we've got a growing church. we got work to do. We got work to do here. And folks, as I look at our church, you realize this is the, the one thing that Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the work of our hands. We got work to do. And so I, look, this card that you have, I want you to look at it. Look at this card. This is not just a challenge for us to knock out our next step. This is a challenge to, to, to knock out every next step in the life of our church. You know what I'm praying for is that, that we, we have a slate of steps to take that include everything from what happens online to the people that are watching right now all the way to children and students. And you know what I asked our, I challenged our staff to look ahead at the next five years. And you know what I realized? I'm not praying big enough. I'm not working focused enough. And do you know what I'm praying for us now? is over the next five years, we knock out every step that is in front of us. 
Here's what's interesting about online. Let me, just, let me just mention a couple of things. Do you know that we have an average of 300 people that watch our services online every week? There are 1,400, just over, there's just over 1,400 Southern Baptist churches in the state of Oklahoma. 400 of those have an attendance of 100 or more. We have more people watching online just in our church than 1,300 churches have in their whole body. Well, we better pay attention to them. Now, they're not just guests. They're people that are walking with us. You know who's watching today? Harrison Mosby watching today. the family that my wife interviewed watching today. A young man that got saved was watching. And folks, we got to start paying attention. Here we are in a growing community in a growing church. And folks, we got work to do. Let's come together and do the work of building a church right here. So here's our our invitation today. Get that card again. We're going to, I'm going to ask Joe to come up. And our next step is to, is, I've been, our prayer has been, our goal has been $450,000 over and above our tithes by the end of the year. Um, we could do that today. But I'm going to ask you to pray about what you should give today But then I want you to consider what you should continually give to our church. You realize that our church is supported by 20% of the people who come here? I think we're better than that. Do you realize that if if we all came together and gave, do you know that you would never have a capital campaign ever again? in the life of this church. We wouldn't. Let's all give from what God's given to us. You're you're missing. Many of you are missing the, the discipline of giving. But not just the discipline, the blessing of giving. Oh my goodness. We gave last night to Next Steps. We've always done that, but I wanted to give early. I want you to stand where you are. Now, here's what we're going to do today. Now, this is going to be good and a little bit uncomfortable for some of you. That's okay. We'll get over it. 
We're going to circle up in small groups. Meet somebody around you. Right now, I want you to circle up. I'm going to ask you to pray for two things. But right now, I want you to circle up with people around you. Smaller groups, come on. Let's go. Circle up. Meet, meet each other. You may have to meet each other. That's okay. Give you a second. Meet each other. Let's go. We're going to circle up. If you don't know each other, meet. All right. Now, oh, thank you, Benjamin. I love you, son. You're a good boy. He draws me a picture every week. Helps him pay attention in church. If you need help with that, you ought to try learn from Benjamin. All right, here's the first thing we're going to pray for. And somebody in your group needs to voice this prayer. And I want you to pray this. For God to provide this $450,000 before December 31st. I want you to pray that, but as you pray for that, I want you to, whoever voices that prayer, pray that everyone in that circle is a part of it. So one person voice that prayer, go. Okay, let's wrap up that prayer because we've got a second thing to pray for. Okay, so now, second thing to pray for. There's going to be a verse on the screen. It's Ephesians 3, 4, 20 through 21. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So here's the, here's the challenge. I've repented for not praying big enough, not praying in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 prayer for our church. And here's what I'm going to ask you to, to pray right now and pray moving forward that in the next five years we accomplish every step that our staff pushed me to, 
that the Lord has called us to, that God's moving us to. So Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 is the, is the foundation for this next prayer. I'll say it again. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I long for the day that we're in heaven and we're hanging out because we're going we're gonna to do that in heaven. We're going to know one another in heaven. I long for the day that we're in heaven going, hey, God worked among us. That was awesome. I want you to pray Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 for God to help us accomplish every step in the next five years. Pray that right now.